morning, everyone. Um, if I don't know you, my name's Mark. I serve as one of the pastors here at the Hallows Church. I'm, um, most of the time, I'm over in our West Seattle expression. So, uh, but over um, Andrew's time taking a sabbatical, it's really nice because I get to kind of be around a little bit more often. And so it's great to, great to be here, great to be with you all this morning. This, this sunshine, man, I'm glad we fixed those windows. Like, I don't know if you guys remember the windows, the dark yellow. These are really nice. I, was, I got caught up in it. I was like, these are really nice windows. If you, have your, if you have your Bibles, would you open them to Luke chapter 8? Luke chapter 8, and we're going to be just reflecting in verses 22 through 25. And this is a familiar story that we have. Um, if, you're, if you're familiar with the church, if you've been in the church for some time, if you call yourself a, self a disciple, you've probably heard this story. This is when Jesus calms the storm as he's in the boat with his disciples. It's a beautiful, wonderful story. It's one of my favorites in the Gospels. And if you've been studying Luke with us for these past several months, chapter 8 has just been loaded with this theme of faith and how hearts are encountering the Word, the Word, Jesus Himself, the Word of God. And as people are experiencing and kind of encountering Jesus, they're asking the question, who is He? Who is this Jesus? And we get all of these responses, beautiful responses, terrible responses, Excited responses, repulsive responses. We have, in chapter 8, we had the woman, the, the sinful woman, who is overwhelmed with Jesus, so much so that when she gets near him and she sees that he has dirty feet, she begins to weep out of worship. And it's this beautiful scene of her wiping Jesus' feet, pouring perfume on them, and wiping them with her hair. All the while, we have another reaction, which is Simon like not even five feet away from her, totally repulsed by what's going on. And you have these responses of who is Jesus being answered by Jesus himself as he carries out his ministry. He's showing lordship over all things. And in that, he teaches us that he is worthy to be trusted and followed. And yet these responses are so real to the human condition, so real to our responses and our faith. This verse, as I was reflecting on this passage this, uh, this week, this verse kept kind of popping up into my mind, and I wanted to to grab hold of it. And it's when Paul says in, in 2 Corinthians 5, 7, he says that we as Jesus followers, as disciples, we are to walk by faith and not by sight. Yet, as I'm confronted with that truth, I think our natural tendency is to walk by sight with faith especially when storms arise. Storms are God's way of bringing us into deeper grace. 
Jesus, in, in our story this morning, he, ask us, he asks his disciples this question I'm going to keep coming back to, which is, where is your faith? That's a, that's a telling question. That's a revealing question. But within that question is a declaration of God's steady faithfulness to believers experiencing a storm-tossed faith. Father, would you help us see the beauty of your gospel this morning? Would you help us see Jesus in our lives, in every circumstance? Would you open our eyes and open our ears and open our hearts to see the beauty of the gospel? We love you in Christ's name, amen. That's Luke chapter 8, verses 22 through 25. So one thing, I, I'm, as I'm growing a little bit older, um, I'm beginning to notice the differences of how I react to certain situations versus how my kids react to certain situations, even when they're good things. I love routine. I rest and confident in routine and predictability. I love it. And when we're even going to do good things, my daughter, Tavia, is just the funniest thing. It's like the five-year-old stage is when you've, you've reasoned with them enough to learn some self-control, like don't freak out over everything, but, but they still haven't been able to like fully con- conceal the excitement, so they just move their body like in place. <laughs> You know, it's like the Kristen Wiig character on SNL, you know, the, like who can't keep a secret. And she's like, ah, you know, that's, that's my kids. And that's like most five-year-olds I've, I've met. Most kids react that way, especially when it's something fun that's kind of happening. But I think it's so funny to me because when I see Tavia, like getting all excited and moving around in place, I always like reflect on my reaction, which is like, yes, I'm excited. Let's go, you know. <laughs> Let's do this. I'm also tired, you know? And, and it's the, I, I come to enjoy steady, well, stability. I come to enjoy predictability. I like things to turn out the way I think they're going to turn out. I like things to be normal. And I would even say, the more predictable and stable my situation is, the more likely I am to determine the outcome. The more likely I'm, I'm going to know what's going to happen until that assumption gets broken, especially when you get in a car accident. It's like the worst. That happened to me a couple of weeks ago when I was driving five kids, my kids including um, two other kids from our neighborhood. I was driving them to school, and I got in a small fender bender. I was going like four miles an hour. I hit this guy, and then he bumped the other guy on the 99. I tell you, you want to you wanna know what it feels like to have salt rubbed in a wound? You just get in a car accident with children. <laughs> they talk about it the whole way after. And one of the kids in the neighborhood, he's like, as soon as it happened, he goes, someone just died. I was like, someone... <laughs> And I haven't been in there yet, so I'm like, I don't know what I'm going to see, but someone didn't die. You know, he's like, oh, no, I feel it. Someone died. Someone died. And I, and I 
work out all the, uh, the information and stuff, and that just gave them enough time as I was dealing with the situation for them just to talk about it and to amp things up. So by the time I get back in the car, they're like, don't worry, we are going to tell everyone about this so that, that we're okay, that we didn't die. And I was like, why are you bringing up death? Like, so, so much. Um, <laughs> I'm now called the car accident guy, by the way. I'm no longer Gabe's dad. I'm car accident guy to this, to this neighborhood kid. I love predictable situations. But so did the disciples. And in this story, we find them in a very predictable situation. The circumstances were not out of the ordinary for them. They weren't even exciting. In fact, it was more, more towards the opposite. They had just finished doing ministry with Jesus for, for days on end. Everyone's tired. Everyone's exhausted. This is verses 20 through to, to the first half of 23. It says, one day he and his disciples got into a boat, and he told them, let's cross over to the other side of the lake. So they set out. And as they were sailing, he fell asleep. This this oozes predictability. It does not take much faith to get into a boat when you're a fisherman. There's, there's, a, there's a sense of security when you're in the boat in, with, as a fisherman. They knew these waters really well, right? They had sailed them hundreds of times. It was not hard work, and it wasn't even trying work for that. And looking at Jesus falling asleep, what is more secure than Jesus falling asleep because he's tired? It's not like anything's going to happen, Resting in their circumstance. The ministry is on the shore. It is behind us. It is left. The work is out there. What I know is in here. I am content. I am comfortable. The Bible likes to show us these stories to flip these moments on their heads. There's another Bible story about a guy on a boat who was very content being on the boat. Jonah was sleeping with full contentment as he was deliberately, actively disobeying God and sailing in the opposite direction he needed to, while above him, in the story, as he's sleeping above him outside, It says, the Lord threw a great wind onto the sea, and such a great storm arose on the sea that the ship threatened to break apart. What do these stories show us? They show us that it is totally possible to be more dependent on your circumstances than on the Lord himself. Even in situations like ministry, even when Jesus is in the boat next to you, But Jesus calls us to a deeper, sometimes more uncomfortable approach to our predictable circumstances by asking the question, where is your faith? So we don't forget that Jesus is the Lord over circumstances. Jesus calls us, just previously in this last last chapter, not to cover our lamps, but let our light shine forth into the darkness to reveal what's hidden. 
But to do that, we need to listen intently to his word, and we need to follow in the direction of obedience. We need to listen, we need to hear his word, and we need to do his word. But our danger is, in moments of predictability, in moments when we are most comfortable, it's tempting to move away from a posture of walking by faith, not by sight, to walking by sight with faith. It's those moments that can put us in the wrong posture of faith. If Jesus is the Lord over every area of your life, is there an area that you're growing too comfortable in? Is there an area that you don't think Jesus needs to speak into because it's settled, it's calm? Where is your faith? Jesus has a way of revealing real faith and our postures of faith by surprising us, just like he does with these disciples. Second half of verse 23, it reads, Then a fierce windstorm came on the lake. They were being swamped and were in danger. They came and woke him up saying, Master, Master, we're going to die. Now to pause there, a storm on on the Sea of Galilee, that that was no joke. Like there, those, those storms are pretty intense. The way that the lake is positioned, it's surrounded by mountains and it's below sea level so that when winds come in, it's kind of a unique thing in the world where when winds come down, they come over the ravine and they just kind of create this funnel. So even though it's a lake, it feels like a sea. Like it has huge winds and huge waves that will destroy ships. So when the disciples suddenly see this storm coming in and hit them, it happens suddenly and unexpectedly. But they're fishermen, so they know what to do. But the fact that they get worried to this degree shows that these wind and these, the wind and the waves were to such a degree that they were becoming totally hopeless. Time is, time is up. And they came and they woke him up and they said, Master, Master, we're going to die. Now, this predictable circumstance is now kind of turning into a calamity. Had the situation been a little bit different, had they done this differently, they, would, they might have remembered Psalm 107. I want to read this to you. It says, They saw the Lord's works, his wondrous works in the deep. He spoke and raised a stormy wind that stirred up the waves of the sea, rising up to the sky, sinking down to the depths, Their courage melted away in anguish. They reeled and staggered like a drunkard, and all their skill was useless. Then they cried out to the Lord in their trouble, and he brought them out of their distress. He stilled the storm to a whisper, and the waves of the sea were hushed. They rejoiced when the waves grew quiet. 
when he guided them to the harbor they longed for. Isn't that eerie how similar this situation is to them? That is, that is perfectly paralleled to this moment. Side, side note. You should be concerned if the Bible stops surprising you. Don't ever let the Bible become boring. Because when the Bible starts to become boring, we stop losing the excitement of remembering passages like this that would have applied to them so well. That would have been, that word would have been their comfort. But how many times do we grow bored with it or reading scripture becomes hard? Last week, Jesus told, he says, the more that you are in the word, the more of it you receive. The less of it you have, the more you have to lose. When I I get concerned when I hear people, when I hear Christians, especially in in the church, when they say things like, I've heard... I've heard it all at this point. I remember a guy who who was totally convinced that he's heard everything in the Bible preached. So therefore, he didn't really need it anymore. He had it. It's locked away in here. That is not how we work. If the Bible is not in you, it will not come out of you, especially in storms, especially in calamity. We've got to take it in. So it stays in, and it comes out when we need it. Disciples, they don't bring the security that we would maybe think that the disciples would have. I mean, in fact, like, let's just think about it. They're the disciples. They're the only ones in the boat with Jesus. So we could assume, if we could assume anyone's reaction of faithfulness, it would probably be them, Right? Everyone else is on the shore. However, that's not what happens because the Bible is an honest book. It is an honest book with real people who have real circumstances that happen and real responses. The disciples don't bring the security that you would maybe think that they would brought. But that's because Jesus is building a faith in them that they don't currently possess. I've been, I, friends, I've been consumed this past week over this moment. It has just been rolling around in me. This, I can't get over Jesus sleeping through this storm, but being disturbed enough to wake up, not at the storm, but the fact that his disciples called him master, not Lord. And you guys remember in chapter 5, when Peter, he's having this moment where he's out on the water, he's fishing, Jesus is teaching over, and Jesus calls to Peter, and remember, and he says, throw your nets to the other side. And Peter, he says to Jesus, Master, I've been fishing all day, but if you say so, I'll do it. That word master, that doesn't mean Lord. Master is, means boss man. Okay. You're the boss. You're the boss man. I mean, I've been doing this all day, but you're the boss. I'll do it. Then when he gets flooded with all those fish, Peter runs to Jesus and he falls down at his feet. And then he says, I am not worthy, Lord. 
something interesting happens in Gospel of Luke. From there on, in chapter 5 to chapter 6 to chapter 7, Luke is addressing Jesus as Lord. Until now. Until now, they'd call him Master. The question, what happened? He had been called Lord this whole time. Now he's master again. In the midst of the sea storm, in the face of calamity, the storm was more real to them than Jesus' lordship. They are this example of what it means to walk by sight with faith. Masters have authority over ships. The masters do not have authority over the waves. But Jesus is Lord over every calamity. And he is faithful to show us even when we can't see it ourselves. A memory of, of, comes to mind when I was faced with a, a bit of a big life calamity um, some of you guys don't, don't know my story, but when I was 17, I moved out of my house, and I ended up kind of, that's when adulthood started, was at 17. When I was a teenager, kind of from 12 to 16, um, my parents got divorced when I was 12, and it rocked our whole family. It, it really did a, a pretty big number on me. Um, and through that kind of process, we had... Uh, my sister and I, we would move in between my mom's house and my dad's house, and just the instability of, of it all just kind of shook everything, and I became really angry, and I became uh, just kind of hanging out with looking for love in like all of the wrong places and doing a lot of bad stuff. I had multiple suspensions at my high school. I was at school a lot because I was suspended all the time, and um, failing in all of my classes, it was, it was really tough, but when I got saved as a teenager, things, things started to turn around, but that young faith still needed time to process like my pain, right? I still needed guidance. I still needed help to understand what was happening. But over the course of, of these years, my relationship with my dad and I, it just got really bad, and I love my dad, but it, it got really hard to where one night, he said, I don't want you to live in here anymore, so you got to move out. And so I did. And I remember going to my friend, my best, friend, best friend's house, and it was like surreal. You know, the more I reflect on it, the more dramatic it kind of becomes of like, wow, that's, that was really hard. But when I was there, I, I just told him, and thankfully his parents were in the other room and were able to kind of take hold of the situation a little bit more and say, because I didn't have anywhere to go. It was, that was it. Um, And they said, no, Mark, you stay with us. You stay with us. And this family, this is uh, the Elliot family. They're they're who I named my son Elliot after, because they're the family who took me in. And I got to live with them until I graduated. And and I remember when when I was there through that, moving out all of my boxes, my friend's mom was pinning up sheets in the basement to give me a wall. And um, it meant a lot to me. But that night, 
as my friends are helping me move in, everything still feels really surreal. And then my friend's mom comes and she says, Mark, she brings a grocery bag and says, Mark, your dad brought you some bread. She put it on the counter and that's when I lost it. I looked at that bread and I said, you have abandoned me. I don't, I don't know what I'm going to do. I don't know what this means. And you're bringing bread? You're bringing bread? I hate that bread. I hate, I hate this whole, I hate that whole bag. I hate the fact that you came. I hate the fact that I'm, I'm confused and now I'm, and now I'm on my own. I don't know who I am. I don't know what I'm going to do. And I got worked up. I got really upset over looking at this bread as the symbol of a passing, a father passing his son off. And friends, I'll be honest. In that moment, I didn't know Jesus enough to know what he was to, to, to lean into my faith. I said, Jesus, I thought you made promises. I thought you promised that people were gonna be okay. I'm not okay. I don't know what this means anymore. I don't know what I'm doing. And Jesus, like so tenderly and gently, kept bringing me back letting his word speak to me to where I was able to, to move into a different, a deeper faith, a deeper grace, where then happily, I mean, I was able to reconcile with my dad. I was still a, an independent on like the IRS form. I had to take extra classes and extra tutoring to get um, to graduate high school. Um, but I did, so I was still at school a lot, but just for different reasons. But I remember the conversation when my dad began to apologize over what, it, what had happened. And in that, because Jesus was softening my heart, he began to soften my heart in a way to where I was able to look at a different perspective. And that was my dad's. I was able to see that the bread came from someone else who also had a broken heart. And in that Jesus was working all things for good, even though I didn't quite know at the time. Jesus is Lord over all calamity because he's kind. He's faithful to see you through them, all of them. Where is your faith? Is it in, caught up in the storm? Because Jesus will surprise you. I love the Bible because I love being a part of this story. I am swept up in a story of a people crying out to God, and God delivering them time and time again, compassionately, lovingly, tenderly. Jesus is the Lord over all circumstances. He's the Lord over all calamities. 
and he brings me in and he does it with so much sympathy and sensitivity. He knows me. He knows my situation. And he knows yours. He is the Lord over creation. And he's faithful to those that he loves. Which is why it's so fitting he does what he does in this next movement. This is verses 24 through 25. Read this with me. It says, Then he got up and rebuked the wind and the raging waves. So they ceased, and there was a calm. And he said to them, where is your faith? They were fearful and amazed, asking one another, who then is this? He commands even the winds and the waves, and they obey him. Jesus is revealing Psalm 89. You rule the raging sea. When its waves surge, you still them. The storm was a spiritual step for the disciples, even though they didn't know it. Faith is being deposited in them as Jesus shows his authority over creation. Jesus is the creator. He is the sustainer. He is the Lord over all of the universe, nothing happens outside of his authority. Colossians 1, it says, For everything was created by him in heaven and on earth, the visible and the invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things and by him all things hold together, and yet I deeply believe that God has forgotten about me. I deeply can, I can read that passage, and I am tempted to go back to where I was and say, not in this calamity, not in this storm. I'm all alone here. The winds and the waves, they don't have minds, but they can often put us to shame because we have to look at unthinking things to be reminded and to, and to see and to, to know how we should think about God's word and his authority. But God is gracious to us in that in every fleeting moment that I may have in faith, Jesus' faith is steadfast and loving and merciful to me. And he has not forgotten about me. And he has not forgotten about you. It is easy for us to look at the world and to make an assumption that God is not Lord over all of it. Look at this past week. There were three separate shootings in the United States, alone. There are three separate shootings. People died. And it can be easy to look out. It can, if we're going to take a worldview of everything is lost, then it means that Jesus is not Lord. Jesus is on his throne right now. Jesus is faithful to us. And all things will come together for good. 
And in that process, we get to rediscover time and time again that he is patient and that he uses storms to bring us into deeper grace. If you will ask Jesus to meet you in your deepest distress, as one pastor said, you can ride those afflictions to new heights. And an act of trust will become an epiphany on the landscape of life. God is going to use every circumstance, every calamity, even creation itself, to show that he is Lord over all. And you, disciple, are with him. You are not away from him. You are not abandoned. Think about Luke chapter 12 when it says, Jesus says, consider the ravens. They don't sow or reap. They don't have a storeroom or a barn. Yet God feeds them. Aren't you worth more, much more than the birds? Can any of you add a moment to his lifespan by worrying? If then you're not able to do even a little thing, why worry about the rest? Consider how the wildflowers grow. They don't labor or spin thread, yet I tell you, not even Solomon in all his splendor was adorned like one of these. If that's how God clothes the grass, which is in the field today and thrown into the furnace tomorrow, how much more will he do for you, you of little faith? Jesus is the deeper grace we so desperately need over and over and over again so that we can come to him and experience his forgiveness. We can draw in even deeper into the reality of his death and his resurrection and let the scriptures surprise us. Let Jesus surprise you. That starts sometimes with giving even the predictable areas of your life to him. That starts with the, the distress that you're holding on to. Present it and say, Jesus, what can you do with this? Because the winds and the waves are crashing around me. And I don't want to call you master. I want to call you Lord. And that promise, from that posture of faith, Jesus tells us, Watch me. Watch what I will do. And you will see just how close I am to you. You will see just how swept up in this story you are. You are in a grand story. You are a wonderful character living in God's story of redemption. Let the gospel show you. Let the death and resurrection of Jesus be the example of God's love magnified. So, where is your faith? Let's pray. Father, we come to you 
in awe of Jesus, of being the Lord over every circumstance, of being the Lord over every calamity, and being Lord over all creation. We thank you for these passages that show us just how wonderful and powerful he is. But we ask, God, that you would connect it to our hearts, that you would connect this story to our lives so that every area in us is being brought into faithful obedience. Lord, would you help us see? Would you help us grow? And would you help us experience a deeper grace in Jesus and a deeper faith in him? We thank you for him. We thank you for the cross and what he has done for us. In Christ's name, amen.